This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guests on Off the Shelf are from Booz Allen Hamilton, and we're going to be talking about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and how the Department of Defense is implementing AI and machine learning, the challenges, opportunities. And with me today are Jeff Kimmons. Jeff is a retired Army Lieutenant General and former Army Deputy Chief of Staff. He's currently Vice President leading the Intelligence Support for Service Joint and National Clients across the department. Graham Gilmer, he is a Director at Booz Allen Hamilton focusing on research, client delivery in the areas of machine learning, artificial intelligence, and high-performance computing. Kathleen Featheringham is a director at Booz Allen Hamilton, focuses on AI strategy and training support with clients across the Department of Defense and civilian agencies. And last but not least, Justin Betoff. He is a director within the Defense Military Intelligence account at Booz Allen Hamilton. He's focusing on analytical modernization across the department. Uh, guys, first of all, thanks for coming in today, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation. Um, you read about artificial intelligence, machine learning every day, you know, I mean, whether it's a Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, business um, you know, periodicals, just how it's a game changer. Um, it has been two years since you've been on the show, so before we talk about how things have changed and where things are going, Jeff – I really like this phraseology that you all use and that AI, artificial intelligence, is an outcome. Can you sort of explain what that means for the listeners? Well, sure, uh, Roger. I, I think it's an outcome because, uh, you know, the the overpressure, the, the context, the operational context for the need for artificial intelligence is, is the environment all around us. It is uh, in the last two years. Uh, it has increased exponentially. Uh, and understanding that not only at network speed, at operationally useful speed, simply requires mandates. It makes it necessary to have some assistance besides uh, a warehouse full of overworked people trying to manually brute force their way forward to make sense of this. And the intelligence community clearly has, has recognized this early on, continues to emphasize this, but I'd say now across the Department of Defense, I mean, and, and really starting into the federal space more broadly, uh, it is, uh, it's being integrated into budget decisions. It's being integrated into strategies and planning guidance that we've seen at national and at uh, defense levels and intelligence community levels. And it has more champions. It had a single champion, uh, the DEPSECDEF, you know, two, three years ago, and now it has been – uh, much more broadly uh, talked about and supported and championed across the DOD space. It's now integral to warfighting discussions. It's now integral to understanding how to gain decision advantage to provide uh, uh, even humanitarian and disaster assistance support uh, or how to get ahead of the power curve to responsibly allocate our scarce dollars and resources to improve the way we maintain helicopters, 
uh, for predictive maintenance and, and more. So I think it is still the beating heart for the intelligence community and the warfighter community. Uh, but I think it is now uh, extended much more broadly across all domains within the Defense Department. And is that – I know it's what we're talking about two years ago. So in 2017, I guess Project MAVEN, the Algorithmic Warfare Cross-Functional Team. Project Maven. I'm not going to try to do that again. I hit Project Maven. Was that sort of the catalyst to, you know, Jeff, you mentioned that it's become ubiquitous, right? Or that's another big word for me. And baked into the way the department's kind of going about things and and thinking about the requirements. Graham, is that? Certainly the the buzz has become ubiquitous. Uh, And Maven, Project Maven, has been the Pathfinder program leading the way across the Department of Defense. Uh, It's coincidental timing. We were here talking this topic almost exactly two years ago, and MAVEN was in full swing. Uh, it was announced that spring, and they'd set, this was the Deputy Secretary of Defense at that time, it said a goal of the end of 2017 for deploying AI into theater. They met that goal, and that was certainly a landmark moment to be able to show that they could wield this technology, and technology, the outcome, so to speak, in that case was applying machine learning across large volumes of imagery. Uh, video data as well to uh, detect objects in the videos, uh, where right now a large portion of our intelligence community's time, uh, whether it's defense, military intelligence, or or IC overall, is spent on reviewing overhead imagery and full motion video data. Uh, It's extremely time consuming. And if we can free up those analysts for more cognitively intense tasks than just identifying objects or tracking a vehicle, so to speak, if that part can be done by the machine, then it's going to enable better intelligence fusion and more, I'd say, a creative insight that can be you know, added on by the human analysts. And there's a fractional component, if I could just add on for a sure. second, because, you know, even with all the horsepower, all the manpower that, uh, and contractor support and used leveraging industry that DOD has been able to, uh, to bring to bear, they were still only exploiting a fraction of what was collected every day. And those same platforms that collect imagery and streaming video have other sensors on them that collect other things, heat sources, other things that are actually much harder to interpret than your, the imagery we were just talking about. And so the problem compounds itself, and you need all of that information in context uh, along operationally useful timelines uh, to have decision advantage, to accomplish what they call sense-making of all of it, absent which uh, it falls on the cutting room floor. And we spend millions to collect it, and we don't exploit it. Uh, that that's unacceptable. I mean, it's been recognized unacceptable. So, so yes, go ahead, Graham. The problem was there two years ago. It's still here today. And I can't say that we've solved it. I think DOD has been pretty forthright in saying that we're still working on this. Uh, now, are we looking at it in many different areas and prioritizing resources against what we think are the most uh, high potential uh, examples for return on that investment? Absolutely. And that, I think that sort of Awakening to artificial intelligence and the potential, uh, that is owed a lot to Project Maven and what they were able to accomplish in some of the early days and have continued to to work on in the ISR, Intelligence Surveillance Reconnaissance space. And we've seen more recently, about a year ago now, the DOD established the Joint AI Center. So that's the Jake. uh, Yes. And I was going to certainly taking a lot of glad you brought it up. (laughs) And I think the uh, you know public affairs component of AI for the department. So in listening to you guys, you know, one of the things that's to strike is the operational tempo, I guess. You know, what I'm thinking about and you're describing, we're making progress, but 
the operation of tempo, things keep progressing. And, you know, like Jeff, you mentioned the amount of data that is collected versus what we're actually, you know, taking advantage of by using AI or machine learning just grows and grows. And it's a, how far have we come, do you think? And that, that's going to probably be the last question for this segment, but and, and how much further do we have to go? And then we can talk in the next segment about some of the challenges and other, other opportunities. I think they've made, we've made considerable progress. I mean, if you uh, were to ask that question to the director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, you know, who's embedded and in integrated, uh, you know, algorithmic tools into what those analysts are now enabled to do is really a powerful enabler. I think they've come a long way. The original efforts under Project Maven to deal with stream and video have been deployed for two years. They are at multiple points of presence. Uh, the solutions are there. And they're not static. They get better iteratively over time. Uh, all the intelligence agencies are, are employing it for sure. It's a hot topic in the, in the U.S. Space Command. Sure. Because obviously mm-hmm. just imagine how much data uh, it takes to, you have to make sense of to have space situational awareness. And I would say even undersea. I mean, even if you think about uh, underwater sonar, which is another kind of signals that have to be interpreted, and you can train algorithms to help humans do this, not replace humans, help humans. And I think that's an important part of the legal, ethical, moral aspects of all this because, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it's people who are accountable for these outcomes and who will testify before Congress. You know, algorithms right. never will. Right. And I think so. industries rallied around in this direction. Uh, it's certainly on every government acquisition roadmap as we talk about this subject. Who's out in the last two years has trained more than a thousand data scientists to really rally towards this and what the government's asking for to help them meet their AI demand. We have over 60 active AI projects across commercial and federal right now. And, you know, we really see this as an area that we are, you know, bringing unity of effort across uh, this nationally important topic. And guys, we are up on the break. (laughs) You know, I'm Roger Waldron. My guests today are Fabuz Allen Hamilton, Jeff Kimmons, Graham Gilmer, Kathleen Featheringham, and Justin Betoff. And we're talking artificial intelligence and machine learning and how the Department of Defense is implementing AI and machine learning, the challenges, opportunities. You're listening to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are from Booz Allen Hamilton. Jeff Kimmons is a vice president leading intelligence support for service joint and national clients. Graham Gilmer is a director at Booz Allen Hamilton, focused on research and client delivery and machine learning, artificial intelligence, and high-performance computing. Kathleen Featheringham is a director at Booz Allen, focusing on AI strategy and training for government customers across the enterprise. And Justin Bittoff is a director within the Defense Military Intelligence Group, focusing on analytical modernization for DOD and the intelligence community. And guys, in the first segment, we talked a lot about the department's sort of strategic focus on artificial intelligence and machine learning and the progress that's being made in that area. And, I mean, that progress needs to be put in context. So let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges associated uh, with um, implementation of AI, the barriers to AI adoption, and how and strategies for overcoming that. So, Kathleen, can you talk a little bit about what some of those barriers are and 
and, and how people deal with them? Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, Graham will help me explain some of these too, but kind of four main areas. We're seeing data and infrastructure challenges. We're seeing what we would refer to as the human element. So taking into consideration the people and where they're at in their skills, their abilities, their understanding as associated with the mission. Then the operational complexities. So really, how do you take things out of the lab and get them to the enterprise? And then foremost to the defense client's trust or lack thereof. So how, for these types of technologies, are you able to trust them, understand them, and make decisions that have real consequences based off of those? So I'd start with probably uh, data and infrastructure. Graham, did you want to talk a little bit about Yeah, it's a high bar. I think there, there's a prediction out there that 85% of AI projects are going to fail. Gartner is quoted there. And I'd say it's a challenge. Uh, we feel we have a, a good recipe, and it's it's in these main four areas where we're investing a lot of our time to develop expertise and a blueprint for how we do this in a repeatable manner. The data component comes first, and, and you'll hear this from whether it's the Joint AI Center or or other leading technology companies out there. Uh, you have to get your data house in order. It's, data is the fuel for developing these uh, machine learning and AI algorithms to actually achieve that return on investment. And you know, really, that's the first step that we see is got to be organized. Uh, it may need to be labeled in some cases. Uh, it certainly needs about, to be high uh, quality uh, as uh, well. Graham, Kathleen, are we talking about data integrity, like standardization of data, data formats, and all that so that the algorithms can actually you know, efficiently and effectively parse what's presented to them? Yes, in, okay. in many cases. I'd say that's a, you know, a good summary of, of what's required. And you know, in, in general, there may be some sort of additional tagging step um, or human element is kind of our second phase that needs to be sure. added on there where expertise needs to be imbued into that data. We have to show that this is an object of interest and draw a box around that component of the image where we can then draw those pixels in and on a repeated basis over thousands of times train a model that can accurately detect whatever that object or you know, artifact may be. Right. And how does cloud play into this? I, I didn't mention the infrastructure, but it's certainly not to be <laughs> skipped right. past. Uh, it could be a training infrastructure, whether it's graphics processing units, GPUs certainly get a lot of buzz these days. Uh, cloud as well in terms of scalable resources. We feel that to achieve enterprise machine learning and artificial intelligence, cloud's probably going to fit into many of uh, many organizations' plans for that. Right. And it, I mean, it seems like, the, well, the department has articulated a ca- cloud strategy. I think a lot of that is tied to data analytics and, you know, the ability to, to use AI to figure things, you know, to parse the data to, to, to figure things out. It's, right? it's a pillar of DOD CIO's plan, uh, and they're the overseeing organization of the Joint AI Center. So certainly uh, on the roadmap there. Yeah, and one of the next elements I would say is what we referred to earlier as a human element is understanding where an organization is at from the people side of it. So, you know, technologies are, fa- are fantastic and they're great, we can't, especially in this case in, the, in terms of AI, it's not a plug-and-play thing that you can do. So you can't just plug it into an organization and have it wholesale affect the mission. So fundamentally, they're referring to this as, you know, the fourth industrial revolution. So this is one of those times where it's fundamentally could change the way organizations conduct their business. So with that comes what is going to be the roles? What will be the roles of the humans who are in that playing? Are they doing things that are a little bit more of, as Graham said in the earlier segment, cognitive? How are we giving them the ability to use what 
humans are inherently good at, critical thinking, by aiding them with things that machines are good at, which is computational thinking. So some parts of that could be upskilling, that could be reskilling, it could be altogether different roles, and making sure that an organization and the processes that go in that business, or if it's in this case the government, what their roles are and what they're doing, and do they understand it. And that's not just at the low level of let's train people in more in data science and AI and machine learning. That's at all levels. So, you know, the middle is the heart of your organization. Those are the ones who run it all. Right. They really yes. need Especially to Especially in the government. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they really need to understand the outcomes of what AI can do and how they plan for it. So it's almost like an AI education program, mm-hmm. right, for managers and, you know, the folks who are trying to implement you know, what are some of the strategies folks are using to, you know, demonstrate, first of all, the utility of it? Because there is that human trust element. I know that's one you're going to talk about. But even just as you roll that out, what are some of the key things folks need to think about when they're trying to bring, you know, I guess, understanding of what it can do for you? For the yeah, mission? the first place to start is what we like to do is really demystify what it is and what our terminology is and what we mean. So you start out with as AI as an outcome. We don't actually need to have everybody fully have the exact same definition of it, but for each of the organizations, what does it mean to them and what does it mean to their mission? So then you kind of build from there, and then you can start building up the trust for where the technology is at and where it's not. And then what are your parameters? So, you know, we as humans expect machines to be pretty much 100% accurate, but we're not necessarily so it's really thinking about our goals of mission goals and in terms of what are the parameters and what are acceptable boundaries of what it is and having kind of an open and honest conversation about what those should be. That was good. Um, operational complexities. We tell, see tell, tell listeners about that. Most everyone has an AI demo that you could probably see on their, their website even. It's, it's very easy to build AI in a lab where you control the data set. It's not shifting. It's not real world probably have all of the cloud resources that you could imagine or, you know, easy access to it. I think when you start to look at deploying this into real operational context, that's where the the recipe and plan falls apart pretty quickly. We are working very hard to think through the challenging steps uh, to get this technology end-to-end out there to support warfighter, intelligence analysts, you know, you name it across the the government, uh, even in Anomaly detection, uh, for instance, as well. And there's all kinds of other dimensions that we're thinking through up to and including accreditation and and the cyber element um, because this is an inherently new technology that needs to be tested and and managed as well. I think beyond that and moving into the next phase of adoption too, trust is a key hurdle to overcome that we've seen. And uh, it's, it's not a trivial matter. Now, especially when it gets into the rise of like terms like explainable AI, these fundamentally come back again to that human element. It's we want to be able to understand the technology. So how do you build in audit trails? How do you be able to build in to explain how the decisions were made and what basis of information was it was it biased so the, data? So the leadership not? can have confidence. Exactly. In, right. And understand why the decisions are being made in the ways that they're doing. And then as technology shifts, you know, you have models. Models shift through time. So making sure that it's still going with the right parameters of what you wanted it to be. goes back to that accountability yeah, issue. They're accountable. Right. Uh, and so uh, I, I just remember when I was in the government, if I was accountable, I wanted to understand what right. I was accountable for, right, and how uh, they got to, I got to the result. Accountability, that, you know, and particularly uh, if you're going to go to 
go to war, you're going to do sensitive operations, you know, that could be have uh, considerable backlash. You have to have some confidence in it. Uh, and and the nature of AI is it gets better as you iterate more and more and more. As the data gets richer, as the corrections get made, uh, the, 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 the certainty that the indicators that are being uh, automatically queued up for you are correct increases. So it doesn't start off as great as it becomes over time, and you've got to overcome that maturing phase, which I think the younger analysts are more inclined to are more accepting than people my age and the people sure. that uh, didn't grow up with it. In my age too, as well. Yeah. Oh, Jeff. Okay. Um, so, one quick last question. This segment that that sort of struck me when you were talking about operational complexities. I guess the word I heard is a strategy has to be. It has to account for or be flexible to address the variables in real in the real world. Right. I mean, that's and how do you go about doing that? I guess because because your your example is great in a lab. Like everything works right, or like on the chalkboard, it all looks great. Right. Then when you get out in the real world try to execute, you know, there's there's things you haven't thought of or and how do you account for that in your strategy? I'd say this is different. It's it's fundamentally software, but it yes. is different than standard software engineering where we're building towards requirements and a standard yeah. goal and an application that might be developed. In this case, we are basing it on a data set where we've learned from that data and then we're feeding it new data. And you know, the operational data may be shifting and changing we may be, you know, going against a, a threat out there or an adversary that's changing tactics. Or if you think about credit card fraud, we might build a model that gets very good, but then uh, the fraudsters may change their behavior right. to then beat the model because they've they've learned to outsmart it. So it's this constant cycle and iteration to continue right. to improve models. And I think we'll get into this in, in the third yeah, segment. I, I, here, I just want to tease that out a little more. But it seems sure. to me that because this is all interrelated, right? Isn't that one of the keys to what you just described? Is having the data presented in a way that you can address when people change tactics and that's right. It's readable by, you know, through the AI, through the machine learning as it changes and it's presented in a format that's consistent so they can see how it changes. Is that fair? Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the heart of data science and then AI as well is you're trying to get what are the questions you didn't think to ask? So what is the stuff that comes out of, what is the trends from it? That happens on my show all the time. What question I didn't ask, right? Sorry, Kathleen. Well, we're up at the break. Um, I'm Roger Waldron. Uh, You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Jeff Kimmins, Graham Gilmer, Kathleen Featheringham, and Justin Betoff. And Justin, you're going to be talking the next segment, absolutely. And we're going to talk about some of that return on investment, some real-life operational examples and things that are going on in the AI world. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walder. My guests today are the Booz Allen Hamilton AI team. And uh, this segment, we're going to talk about some of those lessons learned and what's going on, you know, real-life operationally, success stories and and the trade craft, um, and Justin Betoff, who is a director within the Defense Military Intelligence Team at Booz Allen Hamilton, specializing in analytic modernization. You can talk a little bit about some of these lessons learned and and, and you know, operational sort of success stories. Also, maybe some failures because you learn from your failures. Absolutely, 
Yeah, and we had mentioned in prior segments that we were here about two years ago, and it, it's important to mention that Booz Allen's had a corporate commitment to data science, machine learning, the evolution to AI for the better part of the last decade. And with that, we have a lot of lessons learned and positive feedback that I think is just important to share and, and federate out. One of those is this misnomer that um, even if you have a client commitment to evolve and modernize towards the path of artificial intelligence, that all you need to do is go out and buy yourself some PhD data scientists, snap them onto your software development team, and all of a sudden you're moving in the right direction. The reality is far different in, in real-world execution, and particularly across the Department of Defense. One of the things that we talk about as a critical component is the idea of multi-domain hybrid delivery teams, meaning that if you are committed to modernizing and evolving into the world of machine learning and artificial intelligence, you have to pair high-end data scientists with one domain SMEs that understand what the operational impact and success looks like. Um, you also need to talk very much about pairing them with people that understand the software path to production, particularly within a DOD-accredited environment and the importance of data quality engineers to condition and format that data, and the software developers to make sure that they're working with the cyber team to get that into a production state. So it's, it sounds to me that like that, that hybrid team is both data experts and you know, knowledge-based and data-based sort of hybrid, put, pulling those things together. I mean, one of the things that struck me is you have to have people that you said is you have to have people on the team that – Sort of understand the mission, the culture, the you know, w- what you're trying to accomplish. Sure. And, you know, so they can better interpret that data, right? Or take the data and when people interpret it for them, you know what that means for their organization. Yeah, I think one of the most important things to remember about artificial intelligence is that that phrase scares a lot of people. And at the root of it, it scares when you're talking to intelligence analysts and consumers of that type of information as to – what it means, but also the path and journey that it takes to get there. And so one of the other core components is Booz Allen developing strong methodologies for speed of delivery, okay, right? The amount of time that it takes from a traditional software development requirement to get into the hands of an end user that wants that requirement already takes a significant level of effort. And there's this perception that AI takes exponentially longer. I think over time we've built a high number of efficiencies as it relates to expediting that speed of delivery and turnaround time. And I would also say, at least for, um, you know, the models and things as you're looking at it, they, they need care and feeding. So it's not just a technical aspect of it in terms of, hey, I've developed it. You also have, you know, what happens next. So models, models evolve. And as it gets more training and things that they go to, you have to have that domain expertise. But in addition to the domain expertise, you also have to have some other areas, too. So you have things like policy and security all of those things become critical. So in terms of this, one of our best lessons learned is this is not a one particular tech problem. We have to actually work across and make sure that all aspects of our organization understand the implications of it. So, you know, is it secure? Are we doing it in the right way? Is it getting us the type of answers? And, you know, things like just because we can doesn't mean we should. So an, et- an ethical component of it as well. Those are all parts of it. You know, we have 60 active AI projects in Booz Allen right now. So we're learning a lot as we go, but we've also been learning a lot as we've come. And so understanding that and can't talk about it enough is that different organizations in the government have really, really different types of um, 
ecosystems. So making sure that it's at play and understanding those becomes critical. You know, I equate it to kind of building a house. You know, people fundamentally may know how to build it, but then when you get the extra factors, what if you're building in a flood zone or, you know, areas where there's hurricanes and things like that, there's a lot of expertise, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, or even worse, if you're rebuilding a house, you know, so it's easier to start from the ground up as opposed to now I got to figure out what's behind the walls and the things that you would need. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I don't understand what it is, but supervised versus unsupervised uh, machine learning and the implementation of that. What what are the differences? I think I sort of understand, but I but I again, you're, I'm a lay person. Sure. So one of the things, and you're not alone. Many of the analysts that we try to talk to about these types of things ask these same questions, and it goes back to what Buzan often refers to as jumping the credibility gap with end users and their understanding of what is coming out of data science and machine learning and AI. The reality when you start talking about machine learning and AI is there's a foundational mistrust that's inherently built in with many of the end users because they don't understand how the solution and the model was built, and they can't walk it back in a way that is credible to them. And so part of that education and expertise that Booz Allen brings is illuminating not only what the output and input is, but really how the model is working so that it can be justified with higher levels of confidence. When you're looking at artificial intelligence and machine learning specifically, Um, One of the more important aspects to consider in the defense side is that it touches nearly every aspect of the defense industrial enterprise. And that goes very much to the data that is being used every day by end users. You're talking about static photographic data or biometric data that can be implemented and utilized through AI. We talked earlier about the importance of um, full motion video and ISR data as it relates to looking for indicators, patterns, trends, and warnings. Um, we're looking at uh, text, language, speech. How are we implementing things like natural language processing and advanced entity extraction in more efficient ways? And also transaction data. One of the things that we don't often think about in terms of the successful implementation of machine learning is applying it from a metrics perspective. How are the tools that we have built through traditional software development processes enhanced by machine learning and artificial intelligence? How are users interacting with that system, and how can we build them in more efficient ways moving forward? Yeah, and what are the real-life outcomes of how you're measuring success, right, of, of implementing AI? You know, one of the things that, you know, I think we've touched on this conversation, and I've mentioned, is the idea of the data integrity or standards. Can you talk a little bit about um, where the department is and where the government is on on, on developing standards around um AI implementation and, you know, and related tools? Sure. So there's been a, a, a tremendous commitment and I think a push moving forward as it relates to building common standards and governance related to AI and machine learning. When you talk about what has changed since the last time we were sitting here two years ago, Graham had brought up earlier the, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center really taking the jump and lead forward in terms of standardizing and building those common standards and governance. Um, certainly the National Institute of Standards and Technology has put out recent documentation when you're trying to interact with clients and talk them through the modernization, even if you have a forward-leaning, risk-taking DOD client, there's not a roadmap historically as it relates to how do you make that evolution so that you don't feel like you're taking just a leap of faith and moving alone. And so I think building that into common standards, common governance practices that are being led through the Jake and the NIST um, has made a tremendous difference for people just feeling more comfortable about evolving along that path. Yeah, and you know what? We're already up on the break, and the time is flying. When we come back, 
I, you know, I'd like to talk a little about what you see moving in the future over the next two or three years where you know, this is all headed, what the potential and the opportunities are for the government, um, you know, just uh, and across the board, just, you, you know, it touches, it's going to touch, in or if it doesn't already, all of our lives. Um, my guests today are from Booz Allen Hamilton, Jeff Kimmins, Graham Gilmer, Kathleen Featheringham, Justin Betoff. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guests today are the Booz Allen Hamilton AI team, Jeff Kimmins, Graham Gilmer, Kathleen Featheringham, and Justin Betoff. And we've had a wide-ranging sort of discussion on machine learning, artificial intelligence, the opportunities, implementation, um, some of the key challenges, um, and some of the keys to success. Um, we've covered all those things, but I keep going back and thinking of this this quote where it's just it's described artificial intelligence as you know overhyped in the near term and understated in the long term in terms of its potential. That just strikes me. Is that where we are right now, guys? Or um, and, and what does that really mean when 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 I use that that, that language? Well, we're certainly overhyped. Okay, Graham, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start, and okay. I, I think that. Everyone is talking about this, and it's it's tough to see today where we're having operational impact. I think there are a few Pathfinder programs that are making headway, uh, and that's the way it should be. You know, in the, at the beginning, is we we start with the priority areas where we have enough data right now. You know, cyber is a great example of those predictive maintenance as well, and we determine and there's a lot of potential return on investment there if we can solve this. We determine. Can we develop algorithms that are going to be impactful for you know, how we currently do business or dramatically transform how we do business in, in the first place? And I think both of those areas are going to be transformed. Is it going to be tomorrow, next year? Probably not. Uh, but I think when we look back five, ten years from now, we're going to see certain mission areas that have been overcome by this uh, technological change. Autonomous vehicles is probably the, the most in front of us uh, area where right now, well, are, are they, you know, out there driving around in limited cases? Yes. But when the policies align, when the technology reaches that state of maturity, when the you know safety uh, you know, standards are met, I think we're going to see just a, a title change in, in how we uh, commute, for instance. So. How we well, live. Was, yeah, Jeff, and go ahead. I think it, it reminds me of the you know, Apollo space mission, you know. I mean, it achieved its, its purpose, but there were 100,000 technological leaps that, were, that right. were spun off of it. So, you, Graham, you know, you talk to autonomous vehicles. You think of all the technological breakthroughs and the, and the algorithmic advances and the tools and the training that are attached to that is absolutely enormous. And it, and it transcends just the original uh, capability, I mean, by orders of magnitude. You know, it is relevant to, to analytics, to intelligence, you know, to operational agility, to ingesting data and sense-making it at network speed and at an operational speed that gives you decision advantage. So I think there's a whole host of things that just strike me, you know, just even based on that case. Well, like the microwaves coming out of the Apollo program, for, for example. WD-40. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's, that? right. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Duct tape. Yeah, Justin? <laughs> you know, I think uh, to Jeff's point, one of the most important things as we talk about is just the importance of sharing and federating lessons learned. Um, as it relates to the collective journey that everyone is taking, both through the academic labs, 
across industry, across government, and that relates to contract acquisition strategy. That relates to the actual algorithms themselves. Um, and so Booz Allen has really tried to commit itself to be a center of excellence, not only in terms of the delivery of personnel and capability, but also trying to share and federate those lessons learned across the federal sector to the best degree possible. Right. Kathleen, the role of failure, and I just ask that generally. I mean, not, you know, the Apollo program had, you know, failures. Astronauts tragically died, you know, during that development and with the goal to reach the moon by, you know, the end of the decade, John F. Kennedy. Um, what is the role of failure? What, how, does that, how does failure lead to progress? Yeah, I would say more so than ever before, we're in a, a time of learning, a continuous learning. So this is a journey, and it's definitely an evolution. So we should be taking from what we get. So in, you know, in traditional change management terms, you're going from kind of the unknown into accepting that these things actually help me do my job better. And so with that, there may be some temporary productivity loss. There may be failures. But it's how do you take from that and evolve it and move forward, and that's going to be critical, and that's where that human element and what we're really good at and learning from and being creative comes into play. Right. Well, I want to piggyback on that and, you know, this sort of evolving, learning, that sort of thing. Tell me about uh, Analyst 2.0. Sure. So what is that? Yeah, Analyst 2.0 is the idea that you ultimately want to get to an AI-enabled analyst. But where we're at is, you know, we have some traditional processes the way analysts have been working. And how do you incorporate those technologies and those processes so that they understand what they're trying to get to and you're evolving it? You're not going from, you know, A to B. It's more of what are the elements that are needed there so that you can get the infrastructure ready, you can get the processes ready, you can get the culture ready, you can train them of what they need to be. And so it's kind of that intermediary step where you don't necessarily just jump all the way to here because the technology may not be there, but how are you looking at it as what is their journey and what, as the analysts, do their fundamental day-to-days look like and how do they keep evolving? Go ahead, Graham. I'd say 2019 has been a landmark year in terms of movement in this direction to help establish the policies to achieve what Kathleen mentions there. You know, the uh, executive order on artificial intelligence, uh, there's DOD's unclassified AI strategy was released in February right on the heels of that executive order. It's been a prioritization across all federal agencies of their R&D budgets to consider AI as a priority project. And, you know, I think just in general, so much attention now is being paid, uh, whether it's in the department or the intelligence community with their augmenting intelligence using machines strategy as well that we have this groundswell of effort that truly, I think, it, it has the feeling now of a, a national campaign. We've been calling for this for a while. Booz Allen published more than two years ago a call for a national strategy in AI with CSIS. And we're glad to see this is this is yeah. coming around and we are certainly, uh, you know, moving all in the same direction. You know, one, one thing that I would add for the audience is if you're interested in what you've heard in the last 30 to 40 minutes here – there's a conference that's coming to downtown D.C. the first week of November. It starts on November 4th. It's hosted by NVIDIA, who is the leading manufacturer of GPUs, the hardware that enables a lot of this. It's called the GPU Technology Conference. It's free for federal attendees. And you will find incredible presentations, demonstrations about what this technology can enable. It's right at the center of the, the hype there, but also yeah. you know, we can cut through the noise to determine – you know, where are the real mission impacts going to be in the the near to midterm? Right, and Jeff, that's that's a I'm gonna that's a great segue to a question I wanted to ask. And just 
you could see the federal government and the department have are making commitments, you know, the you know, establishing standards, having implementation, creating centers and all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, the com- private sector has got to play a leading role in this, right? I mean, the 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 private sector drives technology. You know, it's not the ni- we don't live in the 1980s when the department, you know, did drive to, or 70s even or even the Apollo program where the government drove technological developments and change. Now it is truly the commercial market that drives technology. It's in the government has to be open to accessing that. Jeff? Now, exactly. And I mean, industry has to be the engine. There's no way. And I think we've got all the senior DOD leaders would admit uh, that we're going to train people in uniform, you know, to be able to keep up with the pace of commercial technology development. Um, they need some of it. They need as much as they can afford Industry has to bring it to them. Industry has to invest internally, you know, to keep up with technology uh, without being asked to do so by the federal government. Booz Allen invests hugely uh, in that just to be in the playing space. Uh, Otherwise, uh, you're just a small-time app developer or you're building a little tool, a little tool there. It's not a holistic solution, and it doesn't become operationally useful, and it doesn't scale. And without scalability, I mean, uh, we we can't deal with the – incredible complexity of the operational environment that we we live in, and uh, especially the United States, because all of our games are away games. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jeff, thanks so much. Graham, thank you. Kathleen, thank you. Justin, thank you. I'm Roger Waldron. My guests today have been Jeff Kimmins, Graham Gilmer, Kathleen Feathingham, and Justin Betoff, the Booz Allen Hamilton AI team, you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.